Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Okay, good morning. We are live and we are ready to go on this Monday morning. Good morning. It is, uh, I know it's got to be about 64 or something out there. Let me check the weather. It was kind of, yeah, see, I was going to say 68 originally. 64 early in the morning. It's up to 70 now. So it's nice to um, have a little bit of cloud cover out there this morning. It's going to keep it hopefully a little cool for, for most of the morning. And get up in the 80s now, going into March. But anyway, um, how are you guys doing? Nice to have you with us. We had a full house yesterday at church again, and I talked to um, at least two or three couples that were getting ready to head back. So we'll miss you. Thank you for being with us. As always, it was nice having you. Let's uh, jump over and see if we can get this day in trivia, what was going on on this day. Desert Storm officially um, ends, I guess. No, liberated, yeah. 1991, George Bush declares Kuwait liberated. Okay. The Reichstag fire, uh, Hitler's rise to power. This is a very famous day in 1933 uh, in Germany. The Reichstag building, home of the German parliament in, uh, parliament in, Ber in Berlin, burns due to arson. And, uh, yeah. Oh, no. I wonder how that happened. Adolf Hitler declares that his that this is the beginning of the communist revolution and uses the event to seize power in Germany. And on it goes. Abraham Lincoln gave his speech on slavery on this day in 1860. And the British House of Commons resolves against the further persecution of offensive war on the continent of North America, essentially ending the war. Uh, in the Americas in 1782, but it would not be officially uh, ratified until the next year with the Treaty of Paris. And that's kind of it on that side. Now, if we can move over to not only the dad jokes, but the bad dad jokes. There was a bad, there's two, two categories here of dad jokes. I don't know why they just seem like dad jokes to me. Mm, let's see. Andy has 150 candy bars. He eats 125. What does Andy have now? <laughs> Andy has diabetes now. <laughs> mm. Okay, here's an, it says an online, online question. What's the best way to solve my money problems? Answer. Wrap yourself in a blanket and lay yourself on the porch for for a millionaire family. <laughs> Gosh. Um, I would say FedEx yourself to a millionaire family. How's that? I don't like that. I didn't like that one that much. Let's do another one. Uh, problems sleeping? Cut the legs off your bed. You'll sleep deeper. <laughs> All right, that one will work. We are in Leviticus 8 through 10, looking at these 
interesting sacrifices uh, and procedures. Again, as we read this, we are sometimes going, why am I reading all this stuff that's so detailed about the priesthood, about the sacrifices? You're, I believe you're meant to pull away from this, the overall concept of really what is required to come into the presence of Holy God as a sinful person. All that has been now dealt with by Jesus on the cross, but it is to gain appreciation more every day, the appreciation for what he did for us, and then how difficult it was prior to the cross for you and I, had we lived in those days, to have the kind of forgiveness, freedom, and fellowship with God that we now enjoy. So a lot of this stuff is just as an instructive way to gain insight into what real forgiveness is is all about, what what it is to try and approach God who's completely perfect and holy and just in our sinful state. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, and we do look forward to the things that you want to show us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Aaron and his sons. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him and his garments and the anointing oil and the bull for the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded us to do. Then Moses had Aaron and his sons come near, and he washed them with water, and he put the tunic on Aaron and wrapped his waist with the sash and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. And he wrapped his waist with the artistic band of the ephod with which he fitted it to him. Then he placed the breastpiece on him, and in the breastpiece he put the urim and the thummim. He also placed the turban on his head, and on the turban, at its front, he placed the golden plate, the holy crown, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses then took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything that was in it and consecrated them. He also sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Next, Moses had Aaron's sons come near, and he clothed them with tunics and wrapped their waists with sashes and bound caps on them, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. Next, Moses slaughtered it and took the blood and with his finger put some of it around the horns of the altar and purified the altar. Then he poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. He also took all the fat that was on the entrails of the lobes of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat, and Moses offered it up in smoke on the altar. But the bull and its hide, its flesh, and its refuse he burned in the fire outside the camp, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering 
and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses slaughtered it and sprinkled the blood around the altar. When he had cut the ram into pieces, Moses offered up the head and the pieces or the suet in smoke. After he had washed the entrails and the legs with water, Moses offered up the whole ram in smoke on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he presented the second ram, the ram of the ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses slaughtered it, and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. He also had Aaron's sons come near, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobe of their right ear, and on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot. Moses then sprinkled the rest of the blood around the altar, and then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake and one cake of bread mixed with oil and one wafer and placed them on the portions of the fat and on the right thigh. Then he put all these on the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons, and presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and offered them up in smoke on the altar with the, with the burnt offerings. They were an ordination offering for the soothing Roman. It was an offering by fire to the Lord. Moses also took the breast and presented it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and on his garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and the garments of his sons with him. Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh at the doorway of the tent of meeting, there together with the bread, which is in the basket of the ordination offering, just as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it, and the remainder of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn in the fire, and you shall not go outside the doorway of the tent of meeting for seven days, until the day of the period of your ordination is fulfilled, and he will ordain you through seven days. The Lord has commanded us to do as has been done this day to make atonement on your behalf. At the doorway of the tent of meeting, moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days and fulfill your duty to the Lord so that you will not die. For so I have been commanded. Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord had commanded through Moses. Chapter 9. Now it came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a calf, a bull, and a sin offering, and a ram as a burnt offering, both without defect, and offer them before the Lord. Then you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Take a male goat as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both one year old and without defect, as a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. So they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the whole congregation came near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do. 
so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses then said to Aaron, Come near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, so that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. Then make the offering for the people, so that you may make atonement for them, just as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came near to the altar and slaughtered the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Aaron's sons then presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put some on the horns of the altar and poured the rest of the blood at the base of the altar, the fat and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver and the sin offering. Then he offered up in smoke on the altar, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide, however, he burned with the fire outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons brought the blood to him, and he sprinkled it around the altar. They brought the burnt offering to him in pieces with the head, and he offered them up in smoke on the altar. He also washed the entrails and the legs and offered them up in smoke with the burnt offerings on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering. And he took the goat of the sin offering, which was for the people, and slaughtered it, and offered it for sin, like the first. He also presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the ordinance. Next, he presented the grain offering and filled his hand with some of it and offered it up in smoke on the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. Then he slaughtered the ox and the ram and, and the sacrifice of peace offering, which was for the people, and Aaron's sons brought the blood to him, and he sprinkled it around the altar. As for the portions of fat from the ox and from the ram, the fat tail and the fat coverings and the kidney and the lobe of the liver, they now placed the portions of fat on the breasts, and he offered them up in smoke on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron presented as a wave offering before the Lord, just as Moses had commanded. Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting when they came out and blessed the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire went out from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their face downward. Chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on the fire and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and, com and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near to me I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. Moses called also to Mishael and Elsaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come forward, carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to an area outside the camp. So they came forward, carried them still in their tunics to an area outside the camp, just as Moses had said. Then Moses said to, the, to Aaron and to his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not uncover their heads nor tear their clothes, so that you do not die, and he does not become wrathful against all the congregation. But 
your kinsmen, the entire house of Israel, shall weep for the burning which the Lord has brought about. You should not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting, or you will die. For the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. So they did according to the word of the Lord. The Lord then spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you do not die. It is a permanent statute throughout the generations. And to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, between the unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. Then Moses spoke to Aaron and to his surviving sons, Eliasar and Ithamar, take the grain offering that is left over from the Lord's offering by fire and eat it as an unleavened bread beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in the holy place because it is your allotted portion and your son's allotted portion from the Lord's offering by fire. And so I have been commanded. The breast of the wave offering, however, and the thigh of the offering you may eat in the clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they have been given as your allotted portion and your son's allotted portion from the sacrifices of the peace offering of the sons of Israel. They shall bring the thigh offered by lifting up and the breast offered by waving, along with the offering by fire of the portions of fat to present as a wave offering before the Lord. So it shall be a thing perpetually do you and your sons with you just as the Lord has commanded. But Moses searched carefully for the goat of a sin offering. Behold, it had been burned. So he was angry with Aaron's surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, saying, Why did you not eat the sin offering at the holy place? For it is most holy, and he gave it to you to take away the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for for them before the Lord. Behold, since its blood had not been brought inside into the sanctuary, you certainly shouldn't have eaten it in the sanctuary, just as I commanded. But Aaron said to Moses, Behold, this very day they presented their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. When things like this happened to me, if I had eaten a sin offering today, would it have been good in the sight of the Lord? When Moses heard it, it was good in his sight. Well, you've, again, like I mentioned when we started, got a lot of detail. Uh, The putting on the robes of Aaron and his son, the whole consecrating them to the ministry and setting them apart. So symbolic, so phenomenal. And in light of the New Testament, because it was Moses who then puts their robes on, who dresses them. This is all a picture and reflection of God's grace because there is not anything we can do to be holy before the Lord ourselves. We cannot dress ourselves. We are robed with Christ's righteousness, and it is the Holy Spirit that puts it on us. And we are anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit as they were anointed with oil, and it was put upon them and poured upon them. All was done to them. They were passive in the whole process of making them holy before the Lord, as we are when we ask God to wash us clean and forgive us and to robe us in his righteousness. And of course, you have the blood that's put on their right ear, their right thumb, their right foot. This was all reflective of them symbolically understanding that they were to be attentive to what God was telling them in their listening, being using their hands for service and their feet for a holy walk unto him, all by the blood, 
all related to the blood sacrifice. You can see there's great illustrations there. There's great uh, stuff there for a lot of good sermons on how we are to be very attentive and that God wants to do the same thing with us. And he wants us to be listening. He wants us to be using using our hands for his service and our feet for a walk, uh, a deeper walk with him. So, And these were the things that were to be dedicated to. And then they are able to minister before the Lord in behalf of the people. Now, we don't have that calling of the priesthood like Israel had. We no longer are the mediators between God and man, like the priests in Israel were. This was prior to the coming of the Messiah. They were to actually model what the Messiah would be like, one who would be both the high priest and, and the sacrifice at the same time. But we are to be ministering as priests, and we are to then model what it is to have a holy walk after God. And we can intercede for people in prayer. We cannot bring their sacrifice to the Lord and, and, and get them right, but we can pray for them and intercede for them. So there's so, so many wonderful things that we can see in these passages as we read through them. So this is why Leviticus can be a fun book. And I had so much fun when I first taught through it because I saw so much of the richness of the gospel all through these things. You can, you can go into deep detail in all of this and look at each one of the sacrifices and the difference. I'm trying to imagine, Aaron, for a moment, this has always been astounding me, and probably one of the biggest takeaways from the book of um, Leviticus for me is Aaron is anointed high priest here, and he's told to sacrifice a bull and take its the refuge and the head and everything outside the camp and burn it up into ashes. There was another bull calf that Aaron made and offered before the Lord in the desert made of gold, which Moses came and cast in the fire and made into ashes and made the people drink, remember? Aaron had gone completely off the rails. He had gone after all the miracles and being holding the staff himself and allowing God to work through him to do the greatest miracles up to the time of, before the time of Jesus man had ever seen. And the power of God, the provision of God, the man of God, the fire of God coming from heaven, all of that, and he decides to make this calf. Was he thinking he was making an image of Yahweh? Some people think he was, other people, but he gets, definitely gets condemned for this act. It was idolatry. What was Aaron going through when he's being robed with Moses and consecrated as the priest? Tears? A sense of unworthiness? A sense that I don't deserve this? I would imagine. And maybe this is exactly why he does become high priest, because then we get the picture. If God could forgive that, if he could forgive him and wash him clean and use him, he can use, he can forgive and use anybody because he was the most unworthy. The only reason, the possible reason why Aaron was not killed, judged by God and swallowed up by the earth was repentance. That's the only thing I can come up with, is that he was sincerely repentant. Because look what happened to Nadab and Abihu. They were ministering alongside him, but they offered up strange fire. They did one thing. They offered up strange fire, and they were destroyed. Yet Aaron wasn't. What was a strange fire? We don't know. There's a lot of ideas, uh, but we do know one of the logical chains of thought here is that Right after this happens, there is a 
prohibition given to the priests not to drinking, be drunk when they're in service, when they come into the, into the tabernacle. That's a good guess. Were they, they were treating unholy, they, whatever they were, they were not treating what they were doing as holy. They were very, uh, yeah, okay, here we, here we get some. We have to make the, we have to offer up these animals. They were not in their minds holy, and were they drunk? Were they using a fire? Some people think they weren't using the fire that was dedicated from the altar, that the fire of God had come down and begun to start that one fire. It was God's holy fire, and they went and got fire from someone else, somewhere else, their their own fire. And this is the literal side of looking at it. The, uh, the you know strange fire wasn't from the actual altar. Others think it was ideology or something else. We don't know, but it was sinful. And God said, "We're going to minister before me. <laughs> it better be holy, and you better not. You better treat as holy." What we do at church, it basically, is kind of our takeaway. We better be serious that what we have is very special and not come in there half-sauced and casual and, eh, I'll go to church. Yeah, it's Easter. I'll sit in there <laughs> and put up with it. Mm, no, it's, it's a very special time we have. Mark 6 now. I do have this one on the teleprompter, so we'll, we'll do this one here. Mark 6, verse 30. We're starting, starting about halfway through. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Verse 33, The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, and because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away, so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy for themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And he, they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him 
and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts, but their heart were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gesenareth and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplace and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it that were being cured. Interesting. The act of faith is now taking hold of the countryside, but it's not really taking hold 100% in the, in the apostles yet, the disciples. See, he takes them and he sits the peoples down and he multiplies the fish and the loaves so that everybody is fed and everybody is satisfied. So it's signifying that he is the God who provides. He's the God who is over all things. They had already, they have been seen that he's over the power of the seas, over the power of life, over the power of the demons. He's now has control and power over, maybe you could say hunger or has power to multiply food. So again, he's demonstrating deity, 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 all powerful in all things. Therefore, he was looking for them to now get in their minds that our master, our rabbi that we're following, is supernatural in his abilities, in all his abilities. He's supernatural. He can defy any law, physics, any law that has been established. So when they're straining at the oars and he's walking by them, the lesson, the object lesson he was trying to teach them was, you can trust me in all things. They were to go to the other side of the lake. He had given them that command. And in any command of the Lord, if he's going to give us this command, we are to follow it. But but in, in the directive, there was going to be a storm. They were going to have to row against the storm. It doesn't say here that they were sinking. They were just rowing hard against the, the wind and the storm. And Jesus was walking on the water as if to pass them by. In other words, like, remember my words. I said we were going to go to the other side. I want you to go to the other side, so I'll meet you over there. Yeah, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. It's going to get tough to follow my directives, but you will get there. And when you get there, I'll be there. I'll, I'll meet you at the other side. So they see him, and of course, he, he's doing this in object lesson, and they think, oh no, it's a ghost, it's something, not not our Lord, who's physical, it's a ghost. And then he calls over, he says, no, it's me. And this is important, this is helpful, because we understand that he is physical, he's real, but he is supernatural and all-powerful. He is fully God, he's fully man. He's demonstrating he's fully deity, fully God, fully man while he's on the earth so they can get the understanding but take that away after he's resurrected and now understand he's still fully god fully man even though he's glorified <laughs> it was for them to to get an understanding and of course the great issue of him being called over and coming into the boat we'll we'll look at more of that later in, in the other gospels it's, it's it's pretty phenomenal okay staggering truthfulness this is um, Charles Spurgeon. 
He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 112.7. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Suspense is dreadful. When we have no news from home, we are apt to grow anxious, and we cannot be persuaded that no news is good news. Faith is the cure for this condition of sadness. The Lord, by his Spirit, settles the mind in holy serenity, and all fear is gone as to the future as well as the present. The fixedness of heart spoken of by the psalmist is to be diligently sought after. It is not believing this or that promise of the Lord, but the general condition of unstaggering trustfulness in our God. The confidence which we have in him, that he will neither do us ill himself nor suffer anyone else to harm us. This constant confidence meets the unknown as well as the known of life. Let the morrow be what it may. Our God is the God of tomorrow. Whatever events may have happened, which to us are unknown, our Jehovah is God of the unknown as well as of the known. We are determined to trust the Lord, come what may. If the very worst should happen, our God is still the greatest and the best. Therefore, will we not fear through the postman's knock should startle us or a telegram wake us in the midnight? The Lord liveth. And what can his children fear? I guess, you know, we have telegram today on the internet. <laughs> telegram can, can bring you news as well. It's interesting, the, the times we live in, uh, Charles Spurgeon is waiting by the postman and telegram. Those were very slow methods of delivery, but of course in that day it was super fast. Now we have it instantaneous on the emails and everything else. But here, that's the whole issue, is that we're not to rely on those things. We're to rely on the Lord and be confident in him. And this really applies directly to what we just read with the, uh, with the uh, disciples in the boat, to rely on his words and trust in his words. He did, does not desire them ill. And he told them to get in the boat and go over there. So he was going to make sure that they made it, just as in the storm. He was making sure that they don't drown. So these are the, the trust issues, learning little by little to keep our minds fixed on him in the midst of these difficult situations and trust him that he will get us there. Well, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this time that we have with you and for these, uh, these important lessons that we learn, that we need to be learning or continuing to learn about our trust in you and uh, trusting you in all these different areas that are difficult at times to learn those lessons. They are tough, but they're necessary. So we do thank you for all that you are doing and do continue to ask you to guide us and direct us and draw us deeper into that trust. Thank you for robing us with your righteousness. Thank you, God, for anointing us into service and the blessings that we have to be walking with you. We are your holy people, and we desire to remember that, remember what it cost you to go to the cross. And we desire to learn the lesson that from these disciples to trust you that you can take us to the other side. Be it that which you have called us to do on this earth or that you are calling us unto our ultimate home, you will bring us there safely, and you will be there when we arrive. So we thank you, and we pray for those that need right now a touch of encouragement in their life 
those that are feeling very depressed, very down, looking for hope, looking for a source of strength in these very troubled days. So God, I just pray that you'll be touching hearts and touching lives and healing. Thank you for those people you brought into the church that are new. Thank you for anyone new listening that's with us, God. May you richly bless them and help them grow as we go through the word together and feel your strength and feel purpose in their life. And we just are just so thankful, grateful to, very grateful to see the Castor Lines in church and uh, the, what you're doing in their family and their healing. Thank you for that. Thank you for, for uh, healing going on in Kevin and Lee and, and the healing going on with Robert and uh, his body, the loves, just continue to heal them. And many, many people, God, that have been going through difficult times that need a touch in their bodies to recover from various ailments that they've had, different sicknesses. Thank you for Bernice getting better. Different people have been sick. So thank you for uh, all you're doing and for the people that are writing in and um, mentioning their struggles and things they're going through. God, listen, God, we pray that you would hear their cry and touch them as well. So thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there we go. It's actually longer than I thought we were going to go, but we made it through. Thank you guys again, uh, especially for being with us yesterday. It's such an encouragement, and we will continue on. If you missed the reading for Sunday, it's on the podcast. If you didn't get a chance to read it, please subscribe to the podcast if you can or any of the formats you're listening on. It really helps, as you hear everybody say, but it does. It moves us up. It gives people more, uh, gives us more visibility, so we have more of a ministry opportunity and outreach. So, like it, subscribe to it, whatever you can. Thank you, guys. Bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.